0: I'm going to talk quietly because they've been turning me up for about... You're off to a good start, Greg. Here's God's Word. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to skip down to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And now down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. According to his purpose. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for who you are. May you speak to us today. Starting with me. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, last Sunday morning, I preached this very message. And I preached it to a different church, and I know that church really well. And that church, the people in it, are filled with a lot of shame and guilt and uh, sadness over some things that they've done. And then I was asked to preach here, and I thought, well, I'll just preach the same message. But I thought... Mmm, Preston Road Church of Christ. I'm not sure that they're filled with shame or with guilt or with... And then the Lord reminded me of two things. Number one, it's His message and He will work in your hearts to say whatever He needs to say. And number two, you're filled with lots of shame and guilt. Who am I kidding? That's because the fact is that shame and guilt and sorrow is just a part of the human condition. So let me just remind you how this works. There is God, we'll put him top center, and there is Satan, we'll put him down at the bottom where he deserves to be, and he has been defeated but still has some power in our world. And then here's you and me, all right, we're here. Now the challenge is that since the beginning of time, Satan has been working on you and me to cause us to deny God and follow our own desires. And so there's really two versions of that. One is that self-righteousness, that we don't really need God, because we can do it all ourselves. That was, in fact, the way he tempted Adam and Eve. He said, you can be like God. The other is to follow what we would call the sins of the flesh, which tends to always lead to a sense of shame. Now, in churches, we usually are taught and are told that we ought to do a lot of praying of forgiveness for this one. The fact is that all of this separates us from God, because a holy God cannot be in the presence of the unholy. So as the human condition, we are we are bent toward shame. And that some shame comes from some things that we have done or do that we're not happy about some of it can come from things that have happened to us by others maybe your shame comes from being compared constantly to an older sister or a younger brother and you were just never good enough maybe your shame was being bullied in your past because of the way you looked or something about your physical nature Maybe your shame came because you grew up in church and you always thought that you had to be good enough for God and you've never felt good enough for God. And the challenge to that is that that shame causes us to isolate. It causes us to hide. It causes us to retreat. That's what shame does. And so if you look at Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and all of a sudden they're tempted and they eat the thing. And you know what they do next? They hide from God. Right? They're hiding from God. And we say, well, how silly is that? No no one can ever hide from God. But we do it all the time. And the place that it is seen most is in our prayer life. because some of us don't pray and the reason we don't is because we don't know what we would say to a holy God based on our sense of who we are in his eyes. Well, Romans chapter 7 and 8 is all about this sense of shame. And what Paul's trying to do is tell those Christians and what God wants us to know as believers is that he has completely changed this entire structure with what he did On the cross. That because of the work of Jesus, we now have a righteousness not of our own, but a righteousness that comes from God, that is given to us, that is laid over us, regardless of what we do. And the only way that you and I can have this veil broken is for us, by faith, to receive the goodness and righteousness of God as displayed on the cross. Now, if that's true, if that's true, then what happens to shame? What Paul would say in Romans is, what happens to shame is that we pray it away. Romans, the end of chapter 7, and you've read this before. You, if you've read this before, you know this. If not, I'll give you the real short summary. Paul's wrestling with this whole idea... That now we have come to, the, to God through the cross. And so you and I, through Jesus, are right with God again because of what Jesus has done. But then we still have this wrestling that goes on in our life because we're still filled with the sinful nature. And so even though we are right with God, we find ourselves in this huge conflict. And so the way Paul says it is, look, There are some things that I want to do. I really want to do those, but I don't do those things. And there are some things that I don't want to do. I never want to do that again, but I do that again. And I don't want to do these things, but I do them. And I want to do these things, and I don't do them. And there's this huge conflict going on where we never feel good about ourselves, ever. And so he ends with this phrase of, of shame. He says, "What a wretched what a wretched man I am." Some of your translations may say, "What a miserable man I am." Those are shame words. But immediately he gets to the good news of the gospel. Immediately, he says, now, in Christ, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. In Christ, there is now no condemnation. God isn't condemning you because God has paid the price for the things that you have done, are doing, will do, He's not condemning you. Most of us know John three sixteen. It's not going to be up on the slides, John three sixteen. Most of you know it. Most of us, in fact, let's just quote it together. Ready? Because most, if you don't know this, you won't be around in church for six months before you know this. Everybody knows this one. This is the one that everybody knows. All right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Now let's quote John 3.17. For, wait a minute, it's right next to John 3.16. John 3.17 says, get this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world... But that the world, through him, might be saved. He didn't sin. God's not there to condemn you. If you're in Christ, God is there to receive you. Now, it goes on from here. I'll show you what it says. If you skip down to verse 22 20, or no, verse uh, 14 or so. In verse 14, God says that not only does he not condemn us, but he adopts us into his family. Not only does he say, okay, I'm not going to to banish you, I'm going to accept you. But not only does he do that, he accepts us into his home, into his family. There are a lot of you that I accept. There are a lot of you that I like. There are a lot of you that, uh, that I think are nice people. Um, Greg Samuel asked me to say something nice about him by name. And Greg's a generally a nice guy. He's okay. Is that all right? That You want me to do more? He, he said, talk about some great things I've done in the kingdom. So, let's see. He really did say that, and now I've done that. There are a lot of you that I like. I don't know that I really want to adopt you into my family. You have a, a pretty good family. It would make the house kind of, the house would be busy. I don't. God loves you so much that he adopts you into his family. And not only that, but he takes that one a step further because he says, Through them, we're going to cry, Abba. Now, one the definition of Abba. There isn't one. That's not a translation. That's not a definition. That's what their culture called the father figure in their home. And the youngest babies have to have the simplest words to be able to say. Because as they're forming words, they're really just making sounds. And then they put little sounds together to create a word. And so that you would have that word that only a little baby would say. Abba. Think of how easy that is for a baby to say. Abba. We know it in our culture, dada, mama, nana, papa. The reason those are the first words that a baby says is because those are the only first words a baby can say. And when you and I are in Christ, he invites us to come to him and to say, Abba. When you feel the shame, when you feel the embarrassment, when you feel the the guilt, when you feel at your lowest point, number one, God doesn't condemn you. Number two, he invites you to say, Abba. Abba. Um, my dad is here today, and when I talk to him, I talk to him in friendly son-to-father kind of ways. I call him dad. I saw him this morning and said, hey, dad, how you doing? That's a really natural kind of conversation that we have, father-to-son. Hey, dad, how are you, dad? That's a simple name to say. And God's inviting us to have that kind of conversation with him, even in our worst day. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on down in verse 26 and he says, The Spirit is going to speak for us with groans. Now, what's that about? Well, three times in Romans chapter 8, he uses the word groaning. Number one, he said, The whole world is groaning. And, and we get that, right? I mean, we understand the world is not perfect we understand there's some problems there's issues there's chaos there's evil there's sin there's war there's injustice there's all this stuff that's going on and we get the fact that the world isn't right that there's some groaning that there's spiritual groaning that's going on in the world and then he says we christians we too are groaning because you don't come to christ and say okay well now i'm in christ everything's going to be great It just isn't. When the layoffs happen, the Christians are laid off and the non-Christians are laid off. When the plane flies into the World Trade Center, non-Christians die and Christians die. When the war happens, non-Christians die and Christians die. When there's economic downturn, it affects Christians and non-Christians. We are living in this world, and because of that, there's a sense in which we share In that groaning. But because of our sinful nature, we share in this groaning too. And so we have that season. Or that time. Or that night. Or that morning after. Or that day. Or that period where we don't know how to talk to God. We just... You don't even know what to say he actually uses an interesting term there he says we're groaning as in the pains of childbirth now our old we we started our ministry in mississippi and our oldest son was born around jackson and so everything was that that was a one kind of birth with epidural and all this stuff and it was great but we lived in this little town called and and our second son, we were just going to have there in the local hospital. But the local hospital didn't have insurance to be able to apply the epidural. So it was going to be a natural job. Now, I was in the room. Beautiful, joyous day. Birth of our second a son. We were so I just couldn't wait. This was it. It was time. And she had said, come on, honey, let's go. And we were so filled with excitement. And we were there, and it was great, and it was wonderful. And that child was born, and it was so easy. It was so simple. I just stood there and held her hand, and next thing you know, there's my son. And I'm holding It was the easiest day, I. one of the easiest days I've ever had. Simple. For the lovely it was, not so easy. In the midst of this great joy, she's... And sometimes it seems like life can get to a point where all we can really do is just... And what Scripture says is that when that happens... The Spirit is going to intercede on your behalf, and the Spirit will groan for you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, on that day that you don't know what to say to me, why don't you just come to me and say, God, I don't don't even know what to say. Spirit, will you just speak to God on my behalf? You speak. I'm just going to focus on the cross. And while the Spirit is speaking, if you and I will focus on the cross, we might remember that that thing that is hurting us so bad has actually been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. That we are fully loved, fully accepted, even by a holy God. I sometimes just can't believe how good the good news of the gospel is it's too is it too good to be true well it would seem like it unless you were a perfect god who wanted to come up with the perfect plan to make people who were imperfect perfect again because of the work of god himself so here's what i pray for you i pray that In the morning, when you wake up, you'll recognize that you were created. The reason you were created was to do God's work. That's why you were created. People say, I was created to worship. No, worship is a byproduct of a holy God. We're going to worship Him just naturally. People say, well, I was created to be in relationship with Him. No, we're going to be in relationship because that's just who we are as created beings. We were created to To do work. That's why man was put in the garden. Work the garden. And he's ready for you to get past your shame, past your spiritual insecurity, to step up to do the work for which you were created to do. To go to your place of work and to know you're to take love and grace and mercy and justice into that place. To be with your spouse, if you have one, to show love and grace and mercy and justice. To be with your kids and grandkids to show them love and grace and mercy and justice. To be the hands and feet of God in our world so that we can be a light that is set on a hill. In the morning when you wake up, my prayer is that you will feel the presence of God. That when you first open your eyes, as if you are hearing him say, Oh, we are so glad you're awake. We've been waiting on you to wake up. We've been waiting six, seven, eight hours for you while you were asleep. Now you're awake. Let's go. Let's take on the day. We've got stuff to do, and we're going to put you in places and in front of people who need our word, our love our encouragement, our support, our truth. And we're going to put you there for you to do the work for which you were created to do. And too many of us say, oh, I don't know if I can do that work because. And that shame talking. we got to remember there's no condemnation. We're in the family of God. A God who loves us and calls us to his own. That's good news, isn't it? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to stand and sing a song. God, thank you for your amazing plan of forgiveness. Man, I need it. We need it. We all do. And my past is defined by a lot of things that I am humiliated about. Shame. But my future is in your hands, the hands of a God who came and died for that and for what I do today and tomorrow and rest. May we set that aside and step up with boldness and confidence to do your work I'm thankful for this church that is doing your work in this part of our city. May you bless them in every way. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be standing and sing.